my first experiences was with one of my good friends from the congregation, a, a boy, and like it was just yeah, it was just this realization of why would I just want one thing when there's so many options of things <laughs> and my sexuality became very much like why would I not try things you know like we have such a short time on earth why not enjoy it I'm Leanne welcome to strippers and sages Today, I'm speaking with Daniel Saint, the founder and chief conspirator of the New Society for Wellness, a private club for the adventurous in New York City. And by adventurous, I mean hot and horny. No, I'm kidding, because NSFW is way classier than that, though it is designed to be a judgment-free, cannabis-friendly space for sexual exploration. The community has grown to over 6,000 members who connect both virtually and at sensual get-togethers at the NSFW Clubhouse. Daniel is on a mission to open many more of these clubs around the country and around the world. So do follow him and tune in for this fascinating conversation about what it means to curate a sex club in New York City. And before we get to this episode, I would love to tell you all about our upcoming retreat. We are hosting an in-person immersion for folks with yonis to come together to heal, deepen, and celebrate our connection to the erotic we will be gathering in a ritualized container supported by sacred plants and sacred sound. We're very blessed to have multi-instrumentalist Petite Celine providing live music during the journey. This will be a ceremony space on 23 acres of expansive wilderness in upstate New York. So if you would like to join us, please visit www.strippersandsages.com immersions. True to form, this retreat will combine the personal with the political, the academic with the esoteric, the carnal with the spiritual. And it's a rare and beautiful opportunity to celebrate how the erotic lives inside of you within this very intentional and lavish container. Daniel, how's it going today? It is going well. <laughs> awesome. So just to kick off, I would love to hear from you what your vision was when you set out to create this space. Um, I think initially there was definitely a desire to find a space that I felt comfortable in. Um, for a long time, I was going to sex parties, either to gay spaces or to straight spaces, and I didn't really find a place that felt like my own. Um, me being bisexual, like trying to find that community, it just didn't really seem to exist in many ways. Um, also, I felt like a lot of the spaces I was visiting, you know, especially straight spaces, was very male-focused. It wasn't really focused on female pleasure. It wasn't really focused on women. Uh, in a lot of the gay spaces, um, you know, there wasn't as much consent focus. There wasn't much, you know, a choice in a lot of things that uh, kind of got, went down in certain spaces. So, yeah, I kind of wanted to have a space where I myself felt comfortable, where, you know, education was a little bit more of a focus and teaching people how to be better at sex was a focus and consent was a focus. So, yeah, sought out to make it <laughs> and uh, tried to, uh, yeah, create it. And yeah, with time it's grown and more people have found it. And, you know, our initial idea of like just kind of having a place where I felt comfortable became a place where a lot of other people felt comfortable. So it's been good. Yeah. So what do you, what do you think makes people feel comfortable in the space? What do you do in terms of inclusion or if somebody, I, I read that you wanted to create a space where people can explore at their own pace. Yeah. So what does that look like when you actually show up? 
Well, I think what's interesting is that people had a certain idea around what a sex club was uh, when we first started this. There was a lot of stigma around it, again, probably because of the experiences that people had that I myself had. Um, and, you know, there was this idea that you have to participate or that if I go to this place, I'm going to have to have sex with everyone or have a bunch of people are just having sex with anyone and it's just kind of a wild free-for-all. And I think that isn't what this space is. That isn't what you know, we are you're seeking to create anyway. Rather, we want to create a space where people at different levels of their sexual journeys can participate, can be a part of it, and, you know, meet new people, meet new friends, meet new partners, um, or discover something that they never considered as something that they wanted to pursue, whether it's, you know, shibari rope bondage or tantra or massage or touch or anything else that we have here. So, yeah, I think the discovery aspect is a big part of it, but it's also a big part in how we encourage people to behave. Um, safety is obviously a big concern. So there's a lot that we implement here at NSFW to maintain that safety and, and to give people a truly safe and judgment-free place to explore. So I know that you give, do you give an orientation around consent? I know yeah. that's a huge, yeah. So what does that orientation look like? So there's a couple ways in which we enforce um, consent practices or basically practicing enthusiastic consent, which is, you know, getting that verbal confirmation before you pursue anything, making sure if it's not a hell yes, it's a hell no, and understanding to accept no's and, and to be told, you know, no, <laughs> and to be okay with that and to like move on. Um, so the first thing we do is we have a code of conduct. All members agree to the code of conduct before they join. That goes into how we behave or how we kind of try to treat each other when we're at NSFW. Um, with that is also a reminder in every single ticket to review that, review it with guests at the door when they arrive. Um, we have guardians. They're called nymphs. They're dressed in white. Everyone else dresses in black, so you can pick them out and see them easily. Um, they'll review the house rules, which, again, goes through consent and the focus on that. We now have video and various signs throughout the house that reinforce this. Um, everyone's encouraged to report people that don't follow the rules. Um, so we have creeper reports, which allow people to submit when they see someone just behaving in a certain way or acting a certain way um, and kind of inform us when, you know, there's people in the community that might not be safe for everyone. Um, at that point, you know, we'll investigate, we'll handle it, we'll remove people, we'll suspend, we'll make them go to training. Um, we do an event called Send Noobs once a month. That's kind of where we do a lot of our consent training and we have you know, various instructors in the sex positive space teaching those things. Um, but it's behavior at sex parties and more importantly, um, how to ask for sex, which a lot of people don't know. Uh, they don't know how to engage in those conversations and it's a way for them to feel comfortable doing so and practice it. Um, and then hopefully maintain that as they remain at NSFW and come to our events. So. Safety-wise, there's a lot <laughs> that we try to do and implement. Um, I think the most important thing for us, though, is encouraging that self-policing, encouraging people to speak up. If someone's not behaving a certain way, please let us know. It's the only way we can handle it. It's the only way we can prevent anyone else from having to deal with that. Um, and that you know, comes down to you know, how people behave in sexual situations, whether they're pushy or you know, condescending or acting in a certain way or you know, behaving in a way that would be like creeper behavior. <laughs> Yeah. Basically, no creepers. No creepers. <laughs> Very on no Amen. Creepers. Please. <laughs> Neither here nor in the White House, right? Yes. <laughs> Let's remove them from all spaces. Thank you. Yeah. Well, I'm curious. I mean, you touched a little bit on this, but since it's a membership model, if you are modeling any forms of transformative justice or innovative approaches to dealing with those creepers, I know I'm sure it's on a case by case. Sometimes you would eject, but then are you saying that you would sometimes require that they attend a workshop? Do you seek to reintegrate people into the community or is... 
Is there a strike policy? How does that kind of work? So we have a guide to reporting creepers, which goes through the different offenses that someone might take within NSFW and the suggested things that we would offer. Whenever we're dealing with creepers, we're working specifically with the people who reported them. So we're asking them, you know, tell us what you think is a good approach to this. And we try to fit within that approach. Um, sometimes it's a warning and that's enough and we will track and see like if that behavior repeats and if it does then they're removed. Um, sometimes it's, you know, you have to come to consent training, you have to come to send noobs, you know, and again, a warning, letting them know like you're on watch, like one more time that you do something like obviously you're out. Now, when it comes to more serious offenses, obviously it could be something where they're completely banned or they're blacklisted from all other sex positive communities, which mm -hmm. tends to make people behave in a certain way because they don't want to be removed from all these other places and you know we have relationships with a lot of places mm -hmm. <laughs> in a sense so it's like it's that blacklisting becomes a very very a useful tool in you know encouraging proper behavior um but for the most part yeah we've gone through the past few years we've had over 500 events we've had over 15,000 people through in total we had 18 creeper reports submitted of those you know eight resulted in someone being removed because it was mm -hmm. just like you know, you should know <laughs> not to like behave in that way and like annoy people in that way. Um, and then 10 of them, you know, they were reproved and they were talked to and they were able to like remain in the community because they haven't done anything again. <laughs> and, you know, we wait, we, we pay attention. Um, fortunately, with NSFW, we have a good group of members who care about the community and who weigh in on a lot of these things. And we call that kind of like our council and they help us make decisions when it's a little bit more difficult to figure out what to do. Um, but yeah, for the most part, the focus is on how do we keep the community safe uh, above all. And how do you ask for sex? <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, I think there's a, a lot of different ways. I think what is most important is that you are asking for sex, that you are <laughs> you know, speaking up when you want certain things. Um, you know, I think that people you know, might come here and think like sex is just such an obvious thing that is going to happen. But it's not. It's like it is a communication. It is you know connecting with someone. It is you know having those conversations first. Um, but I think you ask for sex in an open and honest way. Like you um, obviously don't go straight for sex. <laughs> um, there's other things you can offer or want to do or you know kind of like encourage you know uh, encourage in a sense and say like you know I would love to you know touch you or I would love to massage you or I would love to do this or I would love to you know have this experience with you. And that usually tends to be an easier way to like get into more of a sexual experience, but not going straight for the sex is obviously important. <laughs> right. Yes. Then there's a, there's a, a foreplay to the ask. Yeah. There's always a foreplay <laughs> to the ask. <laughs> yeah. So you have a highly selective membership process. You're known as one of the exclusive clubs in New York. What is that process? How do you go about choosing your members? Um, so there's a few things that we look for when we are considering members. Um, in the past, we were a little bit more, on kind of these 14 points that we would consider. Um, some of it comes into the questions that they are answering, so how they fill out their profile questions, important things like what they can contribute to the community. Again, we don't have too many spaces, we can't fit too many people, so we can't allow as many, but a lot of what we are trying to do now is just making sure that we're identifying people who make sense for the groups that are here. Um, yeah. I would say like it's a lot of people applying now and there's a lot more people who are strictly digital, so that's helpful. But for the most part, we constantly have to like, I don't know, kind of like look through and, and, and feel. Um, but yeah, a lot of it comes down to profile questions and what they're saying on there. Yeah, so you have a digital platform now as well. 
as yeah, digital so events. Yeah, so there's a digital spot where people can join. The digital events are getting started up again soon. Um, we were doing it through COVID and, and through lockdown, um, but now we're bringing it back for a lot of the people who've joined internationally. Um, but yeah, I, I think uh, a lot more of our membership process is going to go into specific regions that we're looking to open in, especially as like New York City. It's We have a lot of members here. We're kind of <laughs> good Saturated. here. And, yeah, and we're opening up more clubhouses here, working on more spaces. But um, a lot of the focus has become on you know the new areas that we're going into. Mm-hmm. I read in one article that, or, or maybe it was on your website, that your membership base is like 60% women, which maybe surprises. I don't know. Is that your, your yeah, could be? Yeah, I think it's definitely shifted. Like we're definitely more equal based on okay. men and women. And there's a lot more couples who join. Yeah. So I think we'd have to do like a new assessment. But early on, it was definitely a much stronger female base. And I think now it's kind of like leveling off to be about equal, equal with a lot more non-binary and people joining. Yeah, I think I, I was curious, like what you think that your space provides. You've already talked a lot about consent and safety, but for women who, in particular, given the historical suppression of sexuality, also safety in terms of non-binary folks to be able to uh, explore in these spaces. Yeah, I think there's definitely something unique about what this space provides. You know, there's not too many places where every single week there's going to be an event or a party happening. There's not too many sex events even live right now in New York. Um, so I think. That has always been an attraction point. The space itself feels safe. Like people can walk around naked. People can walk around in laundry and not feel like they are being, you know, going to be attacked or be touched or anything else like that. We we try to maintain that. I feel for a lot of women, there is, you know, that bringing their friend type attitude, which comes into here a lot, where they'll bring a group of other girls with them and they'll come together, which has always been like, you know, interesting. It's like you, they're coming here for that. Um, but I don't know. I think it, it's it's more about the fact that it's not fully a sex party. Like it's really is something where you can lounge and chill. You don't have to get naked. You don't have to participate. And that's what probably attracts more women uh, than anything else. Also, like so much of our coverage has been female coverage. Like all the major magazines and women's like topics have covered it because those female reporters come and experience it and see it and and, and find that to be a place that feels safe. So. We've been very fortunate to have that. I think it's going to increase more on the couple side, uh, for sure. There's a lot more couples joining, which has been really interesting, uh, especially after COVID. Um, but yeah, it's exciting. Yeah. Well, case in point, here I am reporting on you. <laughs> <laughs> so there's a there's a long history, both of underground sex parties and censorship in New York, from the flappers petting parties in the 20s to which were then shut down by the conservative conservative league of american women the swinging 70s at studio 54 plato's retreat which was shut down uh, at the height of the aids crisis i'm curious what sort of censorship or regulation that you've faced from either the city when you were first trying to open the venue or i read about your payment platforms like what 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 is the backlash that you're facing and who are those people who are out Um, to get you everyone everyone (laughs) everyone really hates sex um yeah, it's, re- it's really challenging. I, I think for us in particular, because we also do things within the cannabis world and we also work with uh, cannabis brands. Um, but on the sex side in particular, you know, that means we can't have a PayPal. We can't have a Venmo. We can't have, you know, uh, a normal bank account or have to be very careful with our bank account. We can't be on Stripe. We can't do payment processing uh, through most platforms, which means like we can't use Squarespace properly to actually use as a platform. Um, subscription sites become troubling. We can't use those either. On the social media side, we've been blocked on Facebook and on Instagram and have been taking videos down on YouTube and other things that just fall a little bit too much in the realm of, um, you know, 
having too much fun. So <laughs> <laughs> it's it's continuous and we're always kind of mindful of that. It's extremely difficult to grow a brand within the space for those limitations and those restrictions. And, you know, there's a lot of legislative changes that need to happen because we shouldn't necessarily fall in the same categories as, you know, porn sites and things like that. We should be in the same categories as LGBT communities because of how many people we represent within one specific category and how it is the only space where a lot of them feel comfortable. Um, so, yeah, it's troubling because you're trying to do something that helps people and, and really does have benefits for a lot of people, but you are being told that you are immoral. Uh, and the morality and the, you know, kind of idea of morality that fills a lot of these leaders at these companies is focused on preventing this type of thing from growing, preventing these types of people from existing in normal society. And I feel that it is extremely um, discriminatory. Mm -hmm. And so you've started the pro-sex initiative, I imagine, to address some of these things. What is the type of legislative change that you hope to see? Well, the pro-sex initiative, which is protect the rights of the sexually explorative, um, was really focused on just raising attention that our rights are not actually protected. You know, kinky people don't have their rights protected. Polyamorous couples don't have their rights protected. And you can face discriminations that have normally been faced against for other LGBTs. You can face those discriminations today and there's nothing you can do about it. Um, we see it all the time. We see people not be able to enter into certain careers because they had an OnlyFans or because they had you know, adult content online. We've seen teachers fired because revenge porn has been used against them. We just saw it with Katie Hill in the Capitol where she lost her position in Congress being the first bisexual female openly to be in Congress because of a threesome <laughs> and her husband being upset at her. Um, we are not protected, you know, and sexually explorative people are not protected in America and that is a major problem. So pro-sex, we started like right uh, before kind of COVID started. We did our first rally and there was a lot more we wanted to do, but then world shut down. Um, but hopefully now that things are starting to open back up again, we can start having those conversations again um, because I think we went through gay rights, we fought for gay rights, we got gay marriage, that was like less than 10 years ago. We're now fighting for trans rights and the next things we're gonna have to ask is kink rights and poly rights. Like when are we having these conversations and when are we protecting companies and businesses and people from you know kind of facing some of the things that they can face, which is either being fired, not allowed housing and other things that can be you know, easily discriminated against because there is no protection. Mm -hmm. I really appreciate that work that you're doing and that it's extending it. You know, I think that's something people don't think about a lot. I mean, even even the the rights of the sexually explorative, you have to pause and be like, I didn't realize I didn't we didn't have those rights. But yeah. right <laughs> that I mean you realize that we're in this highly puritanical society and that there's the censor censorship and you know, people are so squeamish, there's so much stigma yeah. around sex. You can't even show it or talk about it. Like the social media um, so one of the things that we got shut down was uh, we posted an article about a Roman Bacchanalia and the history of Roman Bacchanalias, mm -hmm. and that was shut down. Wow. So we can't even talk about the history of this stuff. We can't even say it in our normal fields of, of conversation, like these public squares that we have, we cannot say these things. And yet everyone's complaining about Republicans getting shut down. It's like, no, it's just people who are a little kinkier <laughs> getting shut down or people who are poly that are getting shut down or people who like, you know, talk about sex openly are getting shut down. And that's, that's concerning because yep. that is something that we need more of. I mean, we're going through a global population crisis where people aren't fucking anymore. <laughs> we're wondering why. It's like, you're only giving them porn. Right. Well, you have a background in marketing, which we'll talk about. So I'm curious about, uh, as a master marketer, like what do you think it'll take to transform the psychology of our country in terms of getting more people on board with sex-positive ideologies? 
Kim Kardashian starts dating two people, <laughs> male and female. <laughs> no, um, unfortunately, no. It really does come down to you know the same ways that we fought for the rights that you know gay men have and, and lesbian women have, and people in the LGBT community have. It's the same way we fought for you know the right to vote or, or or anything else. You have to fight for it. You have to get it passed in legislation. You have to get people behind it who support certain bills and certain things that can change the conversation around this. And, you know, if not, you know, turning off doing it locally, but then bringing it federally and seeing what that means, you know, it would be nice to have New York City not just, you know, decriminalizing prostitution as they are now doing, um, but to also support people who are in these industries like sex work is real work. You know, we have to protect our legal rights and we have to protect our ability to run these businesses and run these companies because there is no reason why someone else's morality should be deciding what my life in America is. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I think, you know, there's, it always requires a legal fight and it requires a, a cultural shift and yeah. they go hand in hand sometimes. So we're starting it small <laughs> uh, and then hopefully, yeah, expanding. I mean, our big goal for NSFW is to bring 50 clubhouses into 50 cities over the next five years. Oh yeah, 50 clubhouses in the next five years, not 50 cities. It'll be some cities will have more than one. Um, but the idea and is, some none. yeah, Kansas City. Some I don't none. know where I, what's what's up. I don't know list. if Kansas City needs a clubhouse <laughs> just yet. Like we can. They hold don't off know on they need one. it. Yeah, they do. Yeah, I don't know if we're going to Buffalo, New York. Um, <laughs> but no, there's um, yeah, there's just a there's going to be a growing need, uh, and this is a conversation that we're going to be having for the next five to ten years as we see some of these things become bigger issues that more people pay attention to, and as we start questioning, you know. Why can't I only marry one person and other things that we should be questioning? Mm -hmm. So when you chose the name, of course, it has a it's a famous acronym, not safe for work, which I love. But there's also, of course, the implication of wellness, which I think relates to what we're talking about. And so I'm curious about how you think about sex and cannabis together and how those became your focuses in terms of promoting wellness in society. Um, well, I got my career started in fashion and beauty and luxury lifestyle things and you know, working with influencers early on and, and building these, you know, bigger campaigns and things around them. Um, I found that, you know, the idea of wellness as it became more and more popular in marketing culture was really just bullshit for getting people to buy products that did the exact same thing as other products that they already had and just convincing them that the more things that they bought um, into, the better they would feel. Um, and I think there was just like a very hypocritical uh, feeling to doing that type of marketing work. So when I started this, it was with the focus of, you know, how do we sell something to people that is cheap and free <laughs> um, and that will actually make their lives feel better. And I think with cannabis, as we see more legalization, as we see more studies into what this, you know, plant can do, we're understanding the benefits that it has for us in our lives. And mm -hmm. I think more people need to accept that and understand that um, it has huge benefits in your sexual life as well. Um, on, the sex, on the sex side, you know, when we look at how we prioritize our lives, how we focus in on what's important to us, most people are career focused or relationship focused or, you know, money focused or, you know, fame focused or other things. And they put these specific priorities in their life, but their sex normally is the last priority. Um, whether they're having a good sex life becomes less of a priority. And I think because we live in such a capitalistic system where we are constantly trying to make more and do more to achieve a certain level of happiness, we ignore the things that actually bring happiness uh, and that if done well, bring enormous amounts of health benefits as well. So um, in creating you know, NSFW and deciding, well, what would that mean for us 
um, the idea of wellness became very, very important because this is true wellness versus what you're sold as wellness. Mm. And how did you first sort of get your foot in the door or, you know, you, you created the space? Like what was the process for launching and getting people Getting, getting people in the door. I mean, it, the first event was literally me on like Craigslist because we still had Craigslist <laughs> at the time. <laughs> I feel like it was still existed for a little bit. But I remember finding a Dom on like Craigslist or something or back pages and like just being like, hey, would you be down for like coming in and just teaching? Like, you don't have to do anything to anyone. You just have to like teach. And it was like, well, that's weird. <laughs> I was like, well, you know, it's not. It's like, you would just teach about like impact play or something or like whatever. And she ended up coming in and, you know, I invited like 10 friends just to be like, oh, we're creating this night. We're just going to have like this little instructional. Um, and yeah, and from that, it just kind of grew. We just started doing more and more of that. But initially it was just, I want to, I want my, I want people to know how to do something and I want to bring someone in as like a party that would be fun. Um, and yeah, from there, it, well, that I just was a lot of fun. So <laughs> we're like, let's do this all the time. Okay, so then you went from, and was that like at your house or where did? Yeah, it was at my apartment. <laughs> it was like at my place. It was it was fine. It was just very very random, um, and yeah. And then the first play date we hosted was literally like uh, my girlfriend at the time's birthday, and we just did a play date for her birthday, and then that kind of birthed all those. And yeah, now like five hundred or so events later, <laughs> yeah. trying to build whatever's next. So that's the origin story for the club. What about your origin story? I know that you. Well, uh, yeah, my origin story. Um, well, let's see. I was I was raised very religiously. I was uh, raised a Jehovah Witness, which is basically a Christian cult <laughs> in the best way to describe it. Not the same as a sex cult, but Not I'm sure we could find some parallels there if will, we try. There are some parallels. Yeah. <laughs> no, um, it was uh, yeah. So I was raised in that. That was awful. Couldn't masturbate or have any impure thoughts, right. and like I don't know, being bisexual at that time and kind of coming through adolescence and feeling like everything that you feel is wrong and you're being judged for everything you feel, that that sense of shame was very much a real part of my life and an everyday part of my life. And yeah, it was really difficult. I left that and went into fashion, started a fashion blog and then became really popular and sold that fashion blog and then went and started running marketing teams for big fashion brands and kind of rised up within fashion, but just realized that so much of that industry is... Uh, not helping things, so <laughs> I, I felt like yeah. a strong desire. I think maybe because I was just how I was raised. Like when you're raised and you think you're like saving the world, it's like a very weird feeling, uh, not a good feeling to have because it like adds like superiority type things and stuff like that, which is very toxic if it's treated in the right way, mm -hmm. in the wrong way. Um, so yeah, I think there was something in me which I was just like, I want to help more people than I harm in a sense. Mm -hmm. I think that was a better feeling and that's a better way of channeling that. So a lot of NSFW initially was very personal to me. Um, it was it was me kind of seeing this as it grew, discovering like things that I always had kind of in my childhood around community and a feeling of, mm -hmm. you know, a sense of, of um, belonging in a sense and feeling like everyone here is like on that same path of like, no, people should be having more sex and better at sex and enjoying sex and, and meeting partners and being comfortable with this stuff. And we shouldn't feel shame for this. Um, so yeah, I think there's, there's a real, um, I don't know, there's a real sense of like the beginning and ending of like my kind of adolescence and now kind of like where my life is going with this, which, which feels very, um, I don't know, redeeming in a sense mm. for being someone who is like so caught up in 
something so crazy like Jehovah's Witnesses. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, how, I mean, what was that transition for you? Like, how did you decondition yourself from that, the way that you were raised to think about sex, to unlearn shame and, and everything that is bound up in that tradition? You know what? I, the reason I, I think I left or the first inclination I had to leave was when Jurassic Park came out. Unexpected connection. Because <laughs> there was dinosaurs and then I was learning about dinosaurs and there was bones. And then I would go to the elders and be like, well, how is it that the earth is only 7,000 years old when there are dinosaurs? And they would say, Satan the devil put all those dinosaur bones there so that you would be convinced that God is like not the real God and that the Bible is not real. Satan thinks of everything. Satan thinks of everything. <laughs> Came up with fossil fuels, oil. Came thinks of everything. Um, so, yeah, that was kind of like my inclination to get out. Uh, and then from there, I think it's just, you know, when you're going through puberty and stuff like that and you're exploring things sexually for the first time like one of my first experiences was with one of my good friends from the congregation a, a boy and like it was just yeah it was just this realization of like why would I just want one thing when there's so many options mm -hmm. of things <laughs> and my sexuality became very much like why would I not try things you know like we have such a short time on earth like why not enjoy it mm -hmm. um so yeah I would I would say yeah, I don't know what the question was, but, oh, but just about, dinosaurs. Yeah, and oh, yeah. unlearning. That was and the it. That was like the unlearning. Yeah. yeah. And the unlearning came from the dinosaurs. And so like. And then from like actual experiences where I was like, yeah, this is too fun. Like, no way. <laughs> Satan knows what he's doing. Yeah. <laughs> oh, we got to be friends with this guy. <laughs> I don't know. I would, I would just think like the idea of like this heaven or the idea of paradise because witnesses have paradise and it's like this whole idea like the earth is going to be recreated, right? Everyone on earth is going to be destroyed who doesn't follow Jehovah. So only 8 million people are going to live and <laughs> everyone else is destroyed. And then we have this perfect paradise. And it's just like, yeah, but on this current earth that we have, we can't have sex. We can't think of that. This. Like, why, why is that going to become available then? Like then, then why? Then, then, right. then it's okay. Like we have to die in order for it to be okay. That seems kind of ridiculous. Like yeah. maybe this is paradise. <laughs> yeah. Am I going to put all my faith in like this hypothetical? <laughs> yeah, this Not very sure. hypothetical. So how has your family received your chosen vocation? Have they stepped foot in the club? Uh, uh, <laughs> my dad did once and then he fell down the stairs. It was Ugh. terrifying. Satan. <laughs> Satan. <laughs> Struck him down for even thinking about coming in. <laughs> I don't know. It did mixed reviews from my parents. I think initially there was a shock to it because I came out and you know started NSFW almost like almost immediately from coming out because I just felt as I was like more open, like I need to find where my place is and where I should be. Um, so that was hard for them initially because I was married before then to a woman and, you know, no inclination of anything but kids on the way. Uh, <laughs> and how old were you when that? I was like uh, 30 at that time. Um, and so, yeah, so initially that was hard, but they got over it and then I opened the club and they were like freaking out. And I think the, the main concern is like, because I do talk about being a Jehovah Witness previously, it, it brings reproach to God's name. So there's that element of me just talking about my childhood or talking about my past that becomes like, yeah, a problem. Um, but outside of that, we're pretty much good now. Like we we talk and I'll share them stories like of members or member letters and stuff and be like, see, mm -hmm. it's helping these people. Like it doesn't, it's not for everyone. It's not for you. And that's understandable. It's not you don't understand it, but for certain people, this helps. This helps keep their marriage together. This helps them like build relationships or find partners that make more sense for them long term. So I think they appreciate that. Totally. Well, and so what, 
you know, coming back to the actual experience of the venue and the place, what can you walk me through what an event I hear that I mean you have a lot of different kinds of programming it sounds like some that are more educational party focused give a sense of like the smorgasbord of offerings and maybe what I can expect to experience (laughs) yeah so um each week uh we we try to change it up Thursdays we either have like a dance party which is not a sex party at all it's just more of a dance uh deep house party that's good for people who want to meet each other um or we'll do fluid which is more of our like gender fluid trans and trisexuals people who just want to like truly kind of explore in a, a more freer environment um then on fridays we do dtf which is kind of like our lessons in love that covers like different lessons every single week that we teach on um, different things in kink or bdsm or um tantra or anything else like that uh then on uh, saturdays we do play date that's more of like erotic theater. So we'll have performers come in. They do like performances and shows. Um, and that's more of like a couple of it, more couples come to that. But it's definitely a much more playful event than some of the other stuff we do. Mm-hmm. We also do things like speaker series where we bring in speakers to talk about specific subjects. We do Send Noobs, which is like our initiation event, which kind of gives people that whole how to ask for sex uh, education, plus allows them to meet new members. Um, we just launched Hell's Kitchen, which is more of like a performance-based space, so kind of like a nightlife experience. That's a little bit more sexy than what you normally would find. Um, and yeah, it, it's it varies. Like we're constantly developing new events, creating new events with brands. Like we're regularly just trying to figure out ways to keep our membership entertained <laughs> and hopefully keep them coming back to the clubhouse. So, how many venues do you have in the city now? Uh, currently, there's this is our main venue, and then we have a secondary where we do a pop-up every Friday mm-hmm. um, that we've been working on for a bit. And we're working on a Bushwick location, talking to a spot in Park Slope, and trying to get a Williamsburg spot back open. Um, and that way we'll have more places where people can go. I kind of think of Park Slope as the Kansas City of New York. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of strollers there, but yeah. therefore there's going to be a lot of demand for something spicy. Yo, you have no idea. The, that stroller crowd needs a break. <laughs> they are definitely looking for things. No, I, I do. I do know that. A lot, of, <laughs> a lot of new parents in my sphere and think they could use a night out at the club yeah, for sure. For sure. <laughs> <laughs> and so um, in terms of like your allies in the space and in the field, I guess, um, do you find yourself like, who do you find yourself in conversation with in terms of either other sex clubs or <coughs> sex workers, doms? Like what's the ecosystem that you're part of? It's a, it's a lot of people. Like we definitely have really good relationships with the number of journalists who are in the space, like people who have been very vocal on, you know, their experiences here, um, we are connected to a number of charitable groups in the space as well, specifically around sex worker rights and black trans sex worker uh, rights, um, where we try to support their rallies by either promoting them or, or pushing them out there. Um, we did that with uh, SX Noir for the big sex worker march in Times Square, which was the largest one that has ever happened, which was amazing. Um, we offer the space to other locations as well. So Red Canary has come here to do events. Um, other doms in the space that need spaces can use the space for their events. Um, I don't know. I, we try to do as much as possible with the charitable groups that have the most influence around kind of more sexually explorative things. So sex worker rights is really, really important to mm-hmm. us. And we try to support that in any ways we can. Um, upcoming, we'll be working with SX Noir on this big NFT auction that will be going to um, Glitz uh, or Glisten, Glitz, Glitz, Glitz. <laughs> um, it's, uh, I can send you the link for it, but um, they're a group that we've been supporting uh, uh, through any of the events they do just to like have them here and That's be a awesome. part of this. Yeah, and does that does the nonprofit activist political bent to your mission 
kind of find its way into the more entertainment performative events or do those tend to be complementary but not necessarily merged? Then we had, like we did a fundraiser for Amy McGrath here uh, when she was running up against Mitch McConnell. That uh, was a lot of fun and very political. Thank you. Yeah, we had <laughs> we had a, a Mitch McConnell sub that was getting like you know like basically <laughs> wrestled and beat up by uh, our our Dom, <laughs> which was a lot of fun. And we had a uh, pin the dildo on the Republican, but we just had like photos of like Mike Pence and like Trump and McConnell, and we just had like dildos that we kept like printing like printed and stickering on to them. So yeah, we've done like political type things like that. Yeah. Um, I've been doing a little bit more just work on the grassroots side with the uh, Eliza Orkins campaign. Right now she's running for DA of Manhattan on a platform to like decriminalize and do things that are very focused around sex workers' rights. She's also, you know, the only candidate who doesn't have like massive amount of money and all her money has been generated from very grassroots and and being there. Um, I've had a chance to like meet her at a couple rallies and she's like an amazing candidate. So she, voting's open right now in Manhattan, so go vote for her. Okay, noted. We will, we <laughs> will link. vote for Eliza. Okay, noted. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I'm, gonna, I'm trying to do some phone banking for them next week as we head into the last two weeks of this election. Um, you should throw a sexy phone bank. I know. All your members. A se- uh, and- sexy phone bank would work. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, but um, yeah, I don't know. I think as we grow, um, as we realize the things that we need to change uh, in the laws uh, that that you know govern our our clubhouses and our spaces and the people who are a part of this, um, we can be a, a better force for real change um, outside of just changing ideas around sex or changing ideas around sex clubs. <laughs> well, it's really amazing all the work that you're up to, and really appreciate it. I guess my maybe final question would be: I'm just curious when we're talking about wellness, sex positivity, like what do you think it is about creating a public setting, like a a space, a private space, but for people to be sexually public in? Like how does that create a sense of liberation or freedom? Or why do you think that that is maybe an important experience to offer humans? Well, I think just having the space alone and people attending and having sex here is part of the education work that we have to provide to our community. Most people have only seen sex in pornography. They've never seen sex in real life. They've never seen two people having sex. They've never seen their partner have sex with someone else. Most people don't have that ability, you know, and don't have that privilege in a lot of ways. So when they come here and they're able to see other people have sex, when they're able to see, you know, two men um, having sex for the first time or two women having sex for the first time or, you know, a group of people having sex together, like there is an education that comes with that. And it also provides them more insights onto how they can better themselves at sex, you know. And I think that is such a privilege of being a part of NSFW. It's such a blessing to be able to have that and give that to people and people to express that and to feel comfortable in that way and to be able to be a part of that because, that is the greatest education you can get on how to be good at sex, watching others and who are better at it, doing it and and learning from them. Um, so yeah, I think that's like the biggest piece for, for this obviously, um, is that we are providing an education that no one else can provide. Um, and for that reason, people seek this out and come here. Well, thank you, Daniel. It's really been a pleasure to speak with you and all of that work that you're doing on the activist front really intersects with a lot of our missions. So thank you. It's nice to have allies in the space. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. (laughs) If this episode turned you on, show us some love. Drop a five in the ratings and leave us a review. Maybe send it to a friend. It's not just about our egos, but it really helps us build our audience and therefore get these conversations out there. 
special thank you to Esteban Alban for editing and mixing this episode and to Leslie Gonzalez for all of her incredible work this season. Thank you also to Liliana Estes for her ongoing support with the show and to Ben Euphrat for his support and his original music. Stay sexy, folks. <laughs>